preparing the sermon, I saw an article online written by a friend of mine that went to union with me that writes for the Baptist Press. And it seems he discovered in the Times-Herald of Vallejo, California, an obituary for a 79-year-old woman named Dolores Aguilar. This was the obituary. Dolores had no hobbies, made no contribution to society, and rarely shared a kind word or deed in her life. The writer was the daughter of Virginia Brown, and she concluded by saying, I speak for the majority of her family. When I say her presence will not be missed by many, very few tears will be shed, and there will be no lamenting over her passing. Now, when I read that, it was quite shocking. Would you agree? Do you agree? Yeah. That's usually what obituaries sound like. And so the guy that, that, that saw this obituary, not Tim, but another guy, decided he was going to track it down, see if he could find out if it was a hoax. And he called around, he got to people, and he talked to the daughter herself. And he said, I was just calling because you have been credited with writing this obituary that just doesn't sound right. This is what she said. I wanted to do the right thing, the honest thing. When she died, I had a co-worker give me a copy of an obituary she wrote for her father as a kind of writing guide. As I read that obituary, what struck me was how my mother was none of the things I was reading. She was never there for us. She was never good. And she left no legacy. Now, the truth is, most of us in this room are leaving some sort of legacy and we are impacting our families and we are loving our families. And most of us in this room, if something were to happen to us today, the obituary in the paper would be kinder than that. But the question that I've struggled with over the last 30 days and the question that I hope you've struggled with is what kind of major impact am I having? And if at the end of my life a truthful obituary was written about me, Not one that tried to make people think how good I was. Not one that tried to bring comfort to people. But a truthful assessment of who I was and how I used that dash in the middle of my life. What kind of person would I be? What would that obituary say? You know, uh, sometimes, uh, and I've mentioned this before, I'll find it interesting to hear people that are caught in the acts of doing something wrong or, or you hear these celebrities that get caught doing things and they'll ask them about regrets they have and one of the things they'll say is, I have no regrets in life. And my first thought whenever I hear anybody say that I have no regrets in life is they are absolutely lying. Amen? How many of you in here have at least one regret in your life? Let me see your hands. That's good. That's unanimous. So when somebody says, I have no regrets, they're lying. The truth is we all have things we wish we could do differently, and we're going to talk today about living a no-regrets life. Now, in a similar way to saying that we're going to live the life for Christ as best we can, one of the things that we're going to discover, or one of the things that we'll find out is that we are going to have things that happen that will cause uh, us to have regret in our life, but what we're trying to do is to live our lives completely, passionately devoted to the Lord so that there are no regrets when we're done. In the book of John, chapter 10, if you've got your Bibles, you can open up there. We're going to be with one verse. It's the verse we started with. It's the verse we'll end with. John, chapter 10, Jesus is talking to a group of people. 
And he's talking about these weird kind of associations that, uh, of the gate and the sheep. And the man who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. And he starts giving all these kind of parables. And he comes to verse 10. And he talks about that we are like sheep and he is like our shepherd. And he says in verse 10 that the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give life in all its fullness, is what the New Living Translation says. And over the last 30 days, what we have talked about is not just adding more days to our lives. The truth is, we have finished our 30 days of living, and we're still here. That's good, amen? But what we're talking about is not adding days to our life, it's adding life to our days. Figuring out how we can pack into our days all that God has called us to do. Some of you are sitting here today and you say, Pastor, I'd love to do that over the last 30 days. I committed myself to reading that book, to doing this study. And what I've discovered is there are some things in my life I want to do differently. But I just don't have that zest. I just don't have that zeal. I don't have that passion. I'm just kind of going through the motions. I don't have that within me to rise up and to do something spectacular. How do I get that? This morning, we're going to talk about life. Now, I want to tell you that in a lot of ways, life is kind of like a puzzle. Now, in this bag, I have 2,000 puzzle pieces. Now, I would offer for somebody to come put this together for us while I'm doing this sermon, but I don't preach that long, right? Some of you may tend to disagree, but I don't preach that long. Doing 2,000 will be a lot. But what's interesting is when you see this bag of puzzle, it's just random puzzle pieces. But when you put this puzzle together, it ends up looking like, I think we've got a picture up on the screen, or should, or try to, or maybe not. There it is. It's the Lord's Supper by Leonardo da Vinci. Now, this, this painting has been in the news a lot in recent years because of things they think are hidden there. Regardless of it, it's a depiction of Jesus in his last moments, in his last days. And a lot of times our lives are kind of like this. We, we try to look at our lives and we look at all the separate parts of our lives and we see that we've got family and we've got work and we've got church and we've got kids and we've got school. We've got all this stuff. And we figure, how in the world does it all come together for that? But what I want us to understand today is that the puzzle that God has for us, the pieces that he wants to put together, is not 2,000 pieces we've got to put together. That's good, isn't it? It's not 2,000 pieces I want to tell you today about four pieces of the puzzle we're going to put together. Four big lessons that we learned from this passage or from this book that helps us to understand how we ought to live in these days moving forward. The first piece of the puzzle that we have to put together if we're going to live for the Lord and live our lives with everything we have is that we have to live with love. We have to live with love. In our world today, there are all kinds of different understandings of what love is. The end of last spring, and even in the midst of this sermon series, we've talked about what love truly is. But when you look in Scripture at what love is, love is a self-sacrificing act that is given towards other people. Now, what I've discovered, or what I've thought about as I've read through all the things about what love is and as I've looked at what the scriptures say and I see what our culture says is that we have come to completely misunderstand the difference between love and lust. 
And much of what our world passes as love is nothing but lust. Now, I heard this definition of the two. Love is when you give something, and the more you give, the more you enjoy it. The more you do something, the more you enjoy it. So if you're in a relationship with uh, your wife, your husband, your spouse, the more you give to that person. Love is the more you give to them, the more you enjoy it. Lust is the more you give or the more you do something, the less you enjoy it. Now, people talk about all the time that the, if you look at the charts at any one time in the music industry, whether it's country, rock and roll, rap, hip-hop, whatever it might be, almost all of the top songs are what they call love songs. Now, there are different ways, but the truth is most songs in our culture are not love songs. They're lust songs. And what we have allowed is for the culture to tell us how we ought to love. Love is giving even when necessarily there's not something coming back in return. This past Friday night, we had a wedding in our church, and one of the verses that you always use when you do a wedding is that verse out of Genesis that God says, And a man shall leave his family, his mother and his father, and shall cleave unto his wife. And there's a real distinction there between those two things. And, and one of it is that you are to leave, that the relationship that you have with others is now secondary to the one that you have with your spouse. But then there's also that description of cleaving. And cleaving there literally means to stick together, to come through for. In fact, in the original Hebrew, the word helpmate for which Eve is described to Adam is that she will come through for Adam. And the reality is that we have to live our lives with love. Now here's the truth. Love is a choice. You go at Revelation 2, 4, and 5 saying this is Jesus speaking to the churches in the book of Revelation and he talks all kinds of good things about this church but then he says you have forsaken your first love. This is what I love about this passage of scripture because it tells us that you don't fall in and out of love. You know, people talk about falling in love like love is some kind of ditch. No comments, please. You don't fall in and out of love. You don't come in and then just fall out. It shows us that it is a choice that we are out of love. It says you have forsaken. You have chosen to go the other way. Now, of course, this is talking about our relationship with the Lord. But we have to understand that love must first flow from us to God. God's love is always there for us. If we're going to live our lives of purpose and passion, then we have to live, first of all, loving God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then we love our neighbor as ourselves, as it talks about in Matthew 22. But it says you have forsaken your first love. That means you have left it. You have chosen to go a different way. But this is what I love. It says, remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. Now, the word repent there means to turn your mind around and to change the direction of your life by the actions that you choose. One of the things that has been convicting to me in the 30 days left to live, the one month to live challenge, is that over and over I've reminded myself of the way that I'm supposed to love my wife, my children, my family, my friends, and my church. 
over and over, I've reminded myself that there are all kinds of things in this life that look important now, but in the scope of eternity, as we talked about last week, when the fires of eternity burn up our work, that there are very few things that will last for all eternity. And one of those things is the way that I love and influence and put my life into my family, into my friends, and into this church. Last Sunday night, I mentioned last Sunday morning, we were doing a revival at the women's prison. And we're scheduling here in the next few days an opportunity to go back to the women's prison because we have several that are wanting to be baptized. I've accepted the Lord as their Savior. And last, uh, last Sunday night, I spoke about the fact that at times in our lives that the loving thing we can do sometimes is to repent and to go back towards the direction that God has called us, that, that sometimes our, our, uh, our, our systems get turned in the wrong way, that our directions get going in the wrong way, and that God allows us to turn back to Him. And as I was finished speaking and we gave the invitation, and I walked over to the side, one of the girls just came up and was just very honest about what God had told her to repent from, to turn from. And one of the things that I thought about there was that she was making a new choice to put her life back in the direction that God had called her. One of the things that may have happened over the course of these 30 days is you realize that you have separated yourself, chosen to move away from the Lord. Again, it's like that old joke that I've used before, but the husband and wife that are driving down the road behind a young couple they see when they're in the truck and the truck in front of them is a girl and a guy and the girl's got her arm all around the guy and she just snuggled up right next to him. The older gentleman sitting in his truck looks over and his wife is over next to the door. His wife looks at him and says, you know what, baby, I just don't know why we aren't like that anymore. Remember when we were young and we used to have to, you know, we just sit right next to each other and he says, baby, I'm not the one that moved. Remember that? He's in the same place. He's still driving the car. In the same way, our relationship with God is like that. And perhaps over these 30 days, you thought to yourself, you know, I found myself drifting more and more apart from the Lord. And the way that I need to recapture a life that is boldly living for Him is to choose to love Him again. And then flowing right out of that is our decision to love our neighbor. Look at Matthew 22, 37 through 39 there on your handout. It says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. If we're going to live a life of meaning and something that's important, then what we have to do, first of all, is we have to live a life of love. The second piece of that puzzle is not only a life of love, but a life of integrity. We have to live a life of integrity. And what God has called us to do is live a life that is whole, that is complete. That's the eye there on your handout, is that we are to live a life of integrity. The word integrity there actually is the word that we get the word integer from, which means whole number. And what that means is that our life is complete and that everything we do matches on the outside and the inside. It's all together as one. This week I was interested to read the cover story from Sports Illustrated. Because on the cover of Sports Illustrated this week was a guy named Albert Hainsworth. He's a rather large human being. 
plays for the Tennessee Titans. Some, some have called him the most valuable player of the, of the year. Well, Albert has an interesting story. First of all, he attended the greatest university on the face.